Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Real quick, I want to mention SobertownPodcast.com. We have tons of resources there to help you fight cravings, build mindsets. It's a place where you can become the architect of your own recovery. Also, we have a list of sober communities you can get involved with. Sober communities are just vital to our recovery, finding like-minded people that we can relate with. There's I Am Sober, Boom Rethink the Drink, Addicted in Film Movie Club with Ted Perkins, The Phoenix, Getting Sober dot, dot, dot again, This Naked Mind, Sobertown Facebook Group, all of these are amazing communities with amazing sober warriors on a journey trying to get sober just like you and I. And today we have Michael, a.k.a. Ready Kilowatt, an old friend of mine here. He shared our journeys for a long time, and it's a pleasure to have him here. And he's going to share his sober journey with us. So, boom. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's definitely an honor to be here. I feel like this is long overdue, but cause I've, I've listened to several of these pe- podcasts and they've been very helpful to me. And I've been thinking about telling my story for a long time now. So I just, I guess I wasn't ready. So now, now I think I'm ready. So, so I guess I'll just, I'll start from the beginning. I'm 40 years old and I, I started drinking when I was about 14, but maybe a little bit before that, but. 14 is kind of when everything, everything started. I guess it started with cigarettes first and, and then, and then weed and then alcohol. It was like right around the corner, all around the same time. So it's been a long journey. And my, my last drink was January 18th of 2021. So that's, it's quite a few years of drinking in there. Okay. So it started with cigarettes really. And then, and then it went to weed and then drinking was around that time around when I was 14 years old and, and, and I, there's psychedelics were involved, painkillers, all kinds of things all started around 14, 15 years old. It didn't take me very long to get to an unhealthy place, especially with drinking. Like I was blacking out, you know, pretty, pretty early in my, in my drinking, my drinking life. And, and I can't, I wish I could say that I had like like, like a terrible childhood or something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. My parents were pretty normal. They're still together. And we lived in a place where it didn't have much crime, these kind of things. But part of me wanted to rebel. I think there's just a, there's a rebellious side to me. And, and cause I remember the first time I bought a pack of cigarettes, I didn't like it. I didn't like the way I didn't like smoking, but I liked the way it made me feel. So. I, I sort of changed at that moment and then, cause b- before I ever drank or, or did any drugs, we were smoking cigarettes as quick as we could just to get, just to get a little buzz off that. And I did have behavioral problems as a kid. They diagnosed me with ADHD and, um, these kind of things are common with addiction, but I just, I, I had looking back, like, like all the stuff I've learned in recovery, looking back, it's like, really, I just, I. I had a hard time accepting who I was just as a person. And I didn't, I didn't take care of myself. I didn't like myself. I didn't love myself, those kind of things. And um, it's been really like, like kind of eye-opening, just realizing that like, it's, cause it was all, all the drug use really was just the ultimate escape. Just like trying to be a new person, trying to be a different person. And cause I just couldn't accept who I was and, and just alcohol gave me that opportunity. I feel I idolized it in that way. Like I could be this like other person. I was blacking out fairly quickly when, and, and in my drinking and it wasn't looking back on it it now, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy to me that that was like, okay for me at the time. I I had other friends I partied with and when, and a lot of them sort of just were like, well, that was fun once. And then kind of just went the normal route and didn't drink as much, but I just got worse and worse or whatever. So it all started at 14 years old. So, and by the time I was 16, I was, I was drinking and driving all the time and like risky behaviors and things like that. And just, and just not being a responsible, um, person, you know, these are like dangerous things. And, 
and and I didn't I didn't really have hangovers when I started drinking, so that was like the other thing, and it it was it was fairly easy to manage. I, I mostly weekend drinking until I was out of high school. When I was in college, going to school, things changed quite a bit from there, as you can imagine. That's when I started really started self medicating because I started having really bad panic attacks when I was in college, and it was like. Hairing the dog, drink, drinking in the mornings to to kill the hangover, so I could go out and be social and 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 those kind of things, and still drinking all the you know, drinking and driving all the time, blacking out all the time, getting drunk and passing out and and pissing on myself like was was fairly common thing for my entire drinking life. When it's and it was just I was okay with that for some reason, just because I felt like I I. I trying to destroy my ego and just be somebody else that I wasn't on. It's just that ultimate escape on it. Just it's, that's what I've come to learn in, in sobriety, but it wasn't always just for fun. And, and I think thinking back, I had my first panic attack when I was like 16 or 17. I didn't know what it was at the time, but we all went out the next day for breakfast and I had to leave because I just like something didn't feel right. And like, looking back on that now, it's like, I was having like really bad anxiety from alcohol withdrawal. And that just got worse and worse, obviously, like in, in college, that's because I would be drinking in the mornings. And that's something that continued with me. Like if I ever drank, I'd have to drink the next day if I wanted to go be social, just because I couldn't handle being around people or leaving the house or whatever. Managing anxiety with something that causes anxiety is just throwing fuel on the fire. And, and my anxiety got worse and worse, of course, as I got older and older and my, my behaviors got worse and worse, like drinking and driving all the time. I had, I had my first DUI when I was, when I was about 30 and Smith and Knight in jail and was on probation and all that. And then I, I had been pulled over other times for drinking and driving and spent the night in jail for falling asleep in a drive-thru, passing out in a drive-thru, a cop knocked on my window and and asked me if I'd been drinking and I had nothing to say except, yeah, I've been drinking a lot. So they made me spend the night in jail, but they didn't charge me with the DUI. So I, I got away with that one. I've fallen asleep behind the wheel a couple times from drinking too much and being on drugs. And that's obviously pretty scary to think about now. At the time, it wasn't enough for me to stop drinking. When I got my second DUI, I was on the interstate driving home after a really bad date <laughs> and I basically just nodded off behind the wheel from drinking too much and I I walk away without a scratch somehow I'm, I feel insanely lucky but I just nicked the meridian and or the median sorry I nicked the median and my cop was behind me and pulled me over right away that cop basically saved my life and probably someone else's life that night so I'm I'm super grateful that they, that they caught me. And, and that was rough time. That was, that was a rough time in, in my drinking. Cause they, I it was my second DUI for one second it was always worse than the first, but they, I had to do like a hundred hours of community service. And then I, and then I was on house arrest for three months, I think. And they put this thing in my room, in my house where I had to, it would beep three times a day and I had to blow in it, blow into it to prove that I wasn't drinking. And it's just a really embarrassing thing. And like all of that still wasn't enough for me to quit drinking. And around that time, I, I lived on live by myself for the first time in my life. And it was just right after this, this second DUI. And I just, it was a really dark place for me looking back when it was just like, I, I lived near a bar that I would walk to a lot and, and blacking out all the time and, and just sleeping with strange women and just risk, risky behaviors like this. And just. Just wasn't a happy person and wasn't taking care of myself and all these things. So, and, and then, and then I met a woman and, and we, we started dating. We eventually got married and my drinking still continued. I probably drank a little bit less, but I was still drinking pretty heavily. And, 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 and it came time where there, that, that, that's when periods of, of clarity would come that I would need to stop drinking. This is not healthy for me. It's like, I should seriously consider not drinking anymore. That's when that started. And actually I was reading Willie Nelson's book, one of his books, and that kind of motivated me to take a break from drinking because he doesn't drink. 
And, and I quit for two weeks then. And I, I, I look, that was a very important time because only two weeks, but that two weeks was huge because I could always go back and remember how good I felt those two weekends that I didn't drink. And, and then, but I went back to drinking and the, the marriage got worse and worse and, and uh, just drinking more and more those kind of things. So it just, it's just back to blacking out all the time and, and just having really bad anxiety that I'm trying to deal with and not being a good husband, those kind of things and, or not being a great husband. And, and there'll be other breaks here and there. There was a stint of AA I did for three months and I knew in the back of my mind that whole time that I would start drinking again. I just thought if I took a break for a while that I would be able to moderate, but I would, I would always just go back to uh, drinking all the time and feel miserable. And I just, it was just, just controlled my life. I felt in every aspect because it got to the point where like my hangovers were so bad. I was like avoiding events. Like for example, my friend had a bachelor party and it was at their like family's lake cottage, which I love, I love boating and being on water and those kind of things. And I didn't go because I, I would not have been able to drive home without getting drunk. And I didn't want to risk getting a DUI because I knew I'd have to get drunk to drive home because the anxiety would be so bad. So there, there's things like that that just were like, why am I living like this? And then the marriage got worse and worse. And really, I mean, I'm, I'm divorced now. So obviously the it got as bad as it can get, but, um, COVID didn't help things. I got laid off and it's just kind of a weird time. And my, my, I ended up cheating on my wife. It was, it was complicated because she's like disappearing at night and stuff. And I don't, I don't know where she's at. And she's basically sick of when I, I like, like falling asleep with boot cooking on the stove was like a regular thing that happened a few times. And on Christmas of 2020, I, I, I woke up to the fire alarm going off and it was one that was actually hardwired to the wall just in case the other one's batteries die so luckily that one was set up like that because that was the one only one going off and my solution at the time was because i couldn't get the i couldn't get the alarm to shut off so as i just wanted to go back to sleep when i couldn't get to shut off i opened the doors and windows i didn't think about shutting the breaker off so the first thing i thought of was getting a knife and just cutting the wire so that's pretty smart. It's like, I almost burnt the house down and it's like, might as well electrocute myself too. So, um, so this is pretty scary. I was supposed to be doing sober October. I, I skipped sober October that month, which I had done a couple times and I skipped sober October that month because I had started a new job and I deserved to drink. I felt like I was owed that. So I was supposed to be doing sober December instead and i was like well i'll just i'll wait till new year's and, and drink but i didn't make it i only made it a few weeks and and obviously on christmas like i said i almost burned the house down so was, and that's just something was starting to change after that last incident and when i just i i started to feel like i'm too old for this, this kind of like behavior it's just getting a little it's getting a little crazy so it was a really dark time and when I was having a really hard time with the divorce, like I knew, I figured we were getting divorced. Like it, it hadn't happened yet at that point, but there were several times where I'd be sitting in my car in the garage with, with it running, I just like wanting to die and seeing how far I'd take it. And, and, but something snapped in me. It's like, it's, this is either life or death. And I chose life and I, I don't, I didn't want to go out without a fight. So it's, it's like something had to change. So I, I decided a few weeks after that Christmas that, that, that I was done drinking, like I'm done drinking for good and I'll do whatever I can this time. I started doing yoga right away and uh, daily. I'm just watching like YouTube videos and just reading books. The first book I actually read was quit like a woman that, that a friend recommended because I wasn't a huge fan of AA. When I did that a few years ago, I, 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 my excuse to leave was when the guy who was supposed to be my sponsor was telling me I was going to fail if I didn't do the 12 steps, but I just, I did like going and hearing the stories and it did help me stay sober for three months. But like I said before, I knew in the back of my mind that I was going to drink again.
if you're looking for an excuse for it not to work, you'll find one. So not that I'm still appreciate this guy telling me that because really you're not supposed to tell people they're going to fail. You got to let them figure out their own path and just support them. But that was just a minority of the people there. Everybody else there was happy to see me. So, and during COVID too, it was this weird time. So I, I, I didn't want to go to an in-person meeting and everybody's wearing a mask. So that was something I was not interested in. I want to see people's faces and the friend that recommended me to read quit like a woman told me about the, I am sober app and, and that, that app basically has changed my whole life. I feel like that is the biggest key to me staying sober. Cause I got on that app and it was only a few weeks later that I saw an ad for the zoom meetings that they do. The unofficial zoom meetings started by members of the app. And, and I went to one of the, I was like, I'm super nervous. I'll go to the, I'll just go to a meeting meeting. I need to do everything I can. So it's like, I'll go to a meeting and try it out. And everybody was just very welcoming and like really glad to see me there. I liked the setup of how everything was set up and it was just, it felt like the right place to be. And, and I, it went about a month where I was just kind of, I'd go if I was not busy that night, but it didn't take very long where I started scheduling things around the zoom meeting. So it's like, well, I'm not doing anything Tuesday night cause I'm going to be at the zoom meeting and the, and the connections that I've made on there are, are really deep, pure connections. Like these, like they're all amazing people, but you know, and then like, how you gravitate towards certain people, it just happens naturally. And it's just, it's been an amazing thing. And I just, I can't imagine staying sober this long without that connection and and then sober town the, the sober town podcast was a huge part of that too in building those connections because i would go on sober town and when i was like those dark moments like work for example when i just can't even focus on my work and like just like literally at tears at my desk trying to concentrate on a job that i had just started and that i was still in training and all these things and and, but I could go on and just like, okay, I'm going to listen to a Sobertown podcast and, and hearing someone's story, like told in a long form when people given like details and being honest about their journeys, like makes it really easy to relate to them and get to know that person. And then you go back to the zoom meetings and you see those people there and it's just like, you know, them that much better. And, and that was just a really beautiful thing because. I mean, you get to know people in the Zooms, of course, but, but, you know, people are limited in their time. You're, you're not going to he hear their full story. So that's why I try to be as honest as I can in this, in this interview and talk about like, and my, my, my reckless behavior and these kind of things and, and, and suicide and these kind of things. And it, it just wasn't, it wasn't a life, you know, that was, that was good. So, I mean, it, it, it ultimately led me to wanting to take my life because I just, I just had dug myself into a hole with depression and anxiety and addiction. And I like alcohol controlled my life when like I went to a Tom Petty concert and I was so blacked out that I don't remember it at all. And, and it's, and like Tom Petty died like a month after that. <laughs> and, and so I know that was the only chance I had And it's just like things like that were just really hard. I, and I really embarrassed my wife at the time and. She had to babysit me, like those kind of things where I just had to be looked after and, and, and worry about getting arrested all the time and, 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 or wrecking or hurting someone because like, I, 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 not a day goes by where I don't think how lucky I am that I didn't hurt anybody else. Cause I just, I can't imagine how hard it would be to go through that. Like everything that I've gone through just seems like nothing if I had hurt somebody else because of my selfish behavior and there was one time in, in actually right when COVID hit, I took two months off of drinking just because it was a weird time. I didn't know if people were going to start dying or what, but it was, it was a scary time. But combined with that, I had drove home from my hometown, which is like 45 minutes where I spent the night with a friend. And before I drove home, I went to the bar and got just hammered, blacked out drunk and drove on the interstate home and I don't remember driving. I don't remember which way I took. I mean, I made it home somehow. And, and then the next day I'm sitting at my house, really bad hangover, really bad anxiety, just like thinking about these things. And then a cop pulls up 
to the driveway. And the first thing that goes through my mind is like, I've hit somebody and they're here to get me. But it's like, that was a pretty scary thing. Actually, the cop was at the wrong house. They were going to check on some, they were investigating something, but they were at the wrong house. So like, I've had all these second chances and, 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 and I've come to accept that I was this person and I, and I, and and I'm, I'm really glad I changed. I was able to get out of that. And, and, but it's, it's really scary looking back that that was normal for such a long time. And, and the fact that I walked away without a scratch, like, like it's, it's, it's a pretty weird feeling. I don't know if it's like survivor's guilt or something, but it's, it's, it's just really scary to think about that stuff. But, but it, but I'm also grateful for it because it led me to where I am now. And and it's been challenging. It's been over two years since my last drink, but it, it has, of course, been challenging. It's like there's more to sobriety than just not drinking. As we know, we have to we have to work on these things. We have to like we have to learn to accept that we're responsible for the relationships we have. And and I I just wasn't as a bitter person, and I blamed a lot of my unhappiness on other people. And, and I come to learn after it's like, it's my fault. Where I was in my life was my fault and nobody else's fault. So I'm, I'm really continuing to work on myself. So it's, and, and I've had these challenges since I've, since I've stopped drinking, like, for example, the divorce was a big challenge and, and, and I'm in a new relationship now, which is, which is, couldn't be in a better relationship. It's, it's just perfect. I feel. And, but when I started this relationship, I didn't realize it, but I was still in a pretty bad place. I'm like still processing my divorce, still trying to figure out what my relationship is going to be like with my stepdaughter, who I do continue to still see. And, and then combining that with a new, a new relationship, I was working really hard. I was working myself really hard and I, and I felt like, like sobriety gave me, made me invincible. And, and it was a wake up call when these things all got to me because it was like, it was just this huge weight on my back. And I, I got to a point at the end of last year where I was having headaches like every single day for months. And I wasn't playing guitar, which I love playing guitar. I love playing music, listening to music. And I couldn't do that because I, I couldn't play for more than five minutes or my head would start hurting. And, th and this was a giant challenge because I didn't know what to do. And on the back of my mind, I would think that like, well, I could just get drunk one night and I could have one night where I don't feel this headache and I could unwind and turn up the music and just feel normal for one night. And, and of course I didn't drink and I haven't drank yet, but it's, I just don't give myself that option, but, but it's hard. And I was having all these other health problems at the same time as well that I've, that I've since dealt with, but basically it was all caused by stress. I thought I had all these other things wrong with me, but it was all just caused by stress. And, and of course, like that would trigger me to drink because drinking never comes from a place to celebrate. It's like, I'm, I'm in a really good mood. Now I want to drink it. That does not happen. It, it's always like I'm angry or I'm stressed and I, and I need to self-medicate. So that, that habit that started back in college, when I started having panic attacks, it, it's still there. And when I drank for 23, 24 years. It's, I can't expect it to change after a couple of years. I feel, I think it's Raul who always says that if you're, if you walk into the forest for 10 years, you, you don't expect yourself to find yourself getting out of the forest after one day, like that kind of analogy. But, and, and with these struggles that I've been through, these health, these health problems and headaches and stuff, it's, 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 it's apparent that I, I'm still creating this new normal and I still need to continue with these connections that I've made, continue these conversations and continue going to meetings and just keep this fresh in my mind on, on what it means to work on yourself and, and to fix the issue I have and all these things. So after I hit a year, I got a little bit scared and cause I know a lot of people reset after a year. So I decided to do AA. I did, I did the 12 steps with saddle tramp. Who, who said he was looking for someone to sponsor. And, and I, I said, I said, uh, I'm interested in doing that. So it's at the very least, it's not going to hurt me. I'll, I'll give it a shot and see what I can learn. I'll continue to work on my recovery. And 
I found that really helpful. At the same time as the going through the 12 steps with him, I was also reading Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, which was crucial to me understanding kind of the spiritual aspect of it because I'm not, the religious part of AA is a little off-putting to me. But through the power of now and that kind of feeling that everything is connected and the present moment is all we have and those kind of things and, and, the, and, and explanation of what the ego is was all very helpful to me because I, I, could, I could see the connection between the power now and AA and, and that was super helpful. And really the first 30 days before, before Saddle Champ and I started the 12 Steps, I had to do a 30-day gratitude list. Every day I had to come up with three new things that I'm grateful for. And that might have been the most beneficial part of AA, to be honest. I mean, it was, there's a lot of other helpful things, like seeing what I did wrong in situations and, and accepting you know, that I'm not perfect and I made mistakes in the relationships that went south as well. But, but practicing gratitude has has been very beneficial for me, pulling me out of those dark moments that, that, I'll, that I'll still go to. I'm still conditioned to go to these places to assume that someone's out to get me or, or I'm not good enough and those kind of things. And that is what, that is one big thing that AA taught me too, as well as, is that a lot of my resentments are connected to my fears of being insecure and and are my fears of being like, like worthy of friendships and, and worthy of love and those kind of things. Because when, in situations where we don't know the full story about some, some of a way someone is treating us, I will jump to the conclusion that they're treating me that way because I'm not good enough. And, and, and I constantly remind myself that oh, that's not usually the case. People treat you a certain way based on what they're going through. And it's really hard to not take these things personally, but it's like everybody makes everything about them. And, and that's, that's a huge lesson in sobriety too, because it's just, or, or just life. It's not even sobriety. It's just people, I can't just blame my unhappiness on someone because they're treating me a certain way or, or just assume that I'm not good enough because somebody is treating me a certain way, but because everybody's going through their own things. And it's really hard to know what's going on in someone else's head. So these are the, these are the things that I'm, I'm working on these days and thinking about and, 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 and just continuing to try to fix like the things that I'm going through. And, and recently I've had some, some financial struggles with like my girlfriend and I are looking to buy a new house and like we had, we're, we got into a situation where we're fighting for earnest money back because there's so many issues with the house and we don't want to buy the house. And, and my rental company is saying I owe them $1,800 after I moved out for things that I didn't break. And these things making me super angry. And it's just like, and I, and I come up with these like revenge plots and it's like, I want to like slash someone's tires or something like that. And, and, and then these thoughts, this, these angry thoughts give me anxiety. And then my mind goes to drinking. My, God, my mind goes to numbing, numbing that. And, 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 and I'm learning how to react to those. Like, cause I can't change what happens to me, but I can change how I react to them. And that's a big thing that I've been working on as well. And it's, 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 and being compassionate and not sinking to the level of someone else who's not behaving ethically and unfairly and those kind of things. So. But it's, but it's very clear that, that, that the anger I have is, is, is hard to deal with. And that's like, I mean, I, I, I've been in therapy before and going through the divorce, I was in therapy and other times in my life, but now it's like, that's, I'm more patient when I'm sober, but I, but I still have these like anger issues where I want to break something and, and just. I want to make, if someone's making me mad, I want to make them as mad as, as they're making me. It's like some, some way of gaining control over the situation, but it's, but it's not healthy. It's not going to help anything. It's only a short term fix. So long-term fix would be just controlling how I react to the situation. One of the story I like to tell about when I was going through my divorce is I had at one point 
I had all this, all these boxes of stuff in my house that it was like the last stuff I got from, from where I used to live. And I didn't know what to do with it. I was just really mad. Like, 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 like I don't have anywhere to put this shit because my new place I'm staying is, is smaller. I don't have anywhere to put this. I'm just really mad. And then I find this coffee mug. I have no idea where it came from. I didn't buy it. I guarantee my ex-wife didn't buy it because it had a Mark Twain quote on it. And it just says, anger causes more damage to the vessel in which it's stored than onto what it's poured. So it's like this anger is just destroying me and it's not doing anybody else. It's not doing anything to anybody else. It's just destroying me. And that was a big wake up call. And, and I, it's also just interesting. I have no idea where that coffee mug came from, but it's, but it was very helpful at the time. And, and it's still very helpful to think of those things. Like, why am I getting upset about these things? And what does getting upset solve? It doesn't solve anything. That doesn't mean we can't be mad about things. And, and it's just got to act rationally to these things and, and, and not have it as such a strong desire to have revenge on people's. So that's, that's pretty much where I'm at now. And it, it's, it's, it's been an incredible journey and I still have the mentality that it's life or death. I don't give myself an option because I, I, I've done that life. I've accepted it and it's over. It's just, it's a new day. It's just, I don't want to be that person anymore. It, it's, it was fun. It had its, it had its time, but. I, I feel like I've drank enough for 10 lifetimes and, and it's, it's, it's time to start doing things and, and making new memories of ones where I can actually remember them and, and be in a healthy relationship and be a responsible adult who doesn't almost burn the house down or worry about getting home at night because things like that. It's just, it, it was, it was controlling my life and, and, and the, the chains have been broken and I, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It can still be very challenging as we know, but it's worth it. I just, it's a hundred percent worth it. So I just would never, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to, to not give myself that option. So let's talk about the evolution of your journey, man. It was just so incredible. I mean, you're sitting in your garage, not wanting to live. So that evolution, you were waking up on a daily basis, right? With a guilt, shame, remorse. Of, of just life impacting you so hard, you're not being the husband that you want to be and and not being able to quit drinking. How was that where when during the day you didn't want to drink and then you would still drink? Did you have like those out-of-body experiences where you just see yourself walking like into a store buying alcohol and you're not wanting to do it? Yeah, thousands of times. and. And that's the other thing that kind of snapped that, that just clicked with my life when, uh, I don't know if it just enough had happened, but the day before I quit drinking, I went to the bar with some friends and, and I was just going to have a few beers, but the few beers turned into like six beers, like five shots. And then a bloody Mary when I got home later. And I originally was going to take it easy. And only have a few drinks because I was supposed to go to a funeral the next day that was a three hour drive away. And like I said before, driving with a hangover, I'd have to, I would have to get drunk, like just dealing with the anxiety of leaving the house and especially being in the car. And then even more so being, being in a car on the interstate is just like, I couldn't do it hungover unless I was like drinking to numb that anxiety. And I. Obviously, I didn't want to just get drunk at a funeral with, with family there and all these things. So I was going to take it easy, but, but I, I mean, I was blacked out drunk and I came, I came home, I woke up the next day and it just clicked. I said, I have no control over this. It wasn't, I mean, like I said, that might've been the, might've happened a thousand times before, but just that one day it was just like, I do not have control over this. And to even to add on top of that, I feel on the times where I was able to stop drinking for a month or two months here and there, those kind of things, you know, I, I would come back and moderate for a very short period of time. 
Like, and that would just prove to, I would just be trying to prove to myself that it, I was capable of moderating. But the interesting thing is looking back on that and being, being a hundred percent honest with myself, I was never happy in moderation. Like if, in the back of my mind, I wanted to drink more every single time I only had a couple or three or whatever. I didn't ever leave like without thinking like, I wish I had more. And it takes so much planning. The planning just consumes you to try to only have three drinks, doesn't it? Yeah. It's exhausting because it, it doesn't work. You're fighting a, you're fighting a battle that you're going to lose. A-Rod likes to use the analogy of the, of the pickle. Do you know this analogy? <laughs> We're all cucumbers that spent too much time in the pickle jar, so we can't go back. So I'm a pickle <laughs> now. I'm a pickle now. Actually, actually, I wrote a song about it too. It's pretty, pretty funny. We'll have I to put a link back. up of that song so that people can listen to it. How's that? Is it on YouTube? I can put it on YouTube soon if you want. Yeah, let's. We'll, and then we'll put a link in your in your bio for for that song. Okay, <laughs> I want to hear it. Okay, so yeah, we just I, we can't go back. I I cannot go back. Some people might be able to. That's fine, but that's I'm not going to be able to go back. And then some of the stuff I've read, Dopamine Nation was very helpful in explaining the science behind things, which I love. I love reading things that explain the science. And like, like in that book, they talk about how like drugs, alcohol, these things physically change your brain. So when you go back to it, that's why it's so easy to go back to the level you were at because your brain has been physically changed. And two decades of drinking heavily, like I, I can't go back. I don't want to. It wasn't. Like, it's just not worth it. What I've been through, which is like the, the attempts, like the, like, I wouldn't really call them suicide attempts, but it was just like, like suicide contemplation. Like, it's like, do I want to keep living or not? I don't. And I just, I don't, why would I want to go back there? It's just like. And then even it, once you got sober, Michael, you were mentioning that you were like wanting a drink so bad at work, you could hardly even focus crying at your desk. Even when you, even after you had that click moment. You still had to put the work in and push through those hard days too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As we know, like the first 30 days is, is, is a challenge and I had done it a couple of times, but I knew the longest I had gone before this time around was three months. I hadn't gone more than three months since I was, I don't know, a teenager, I guess. And, but I just was willing to do anything I could. And I was doing hot yoga for a while. I was like, which is, which is fun, but it's, it's pretty intense. I haven't done it in a while, but just breathing exercises, like ice baths, all, any tool I could find, but something to take my mind off of drinking or the anxiety that I had. And another part of that was you building kind of like a sober crew with, with a few people, right? Yeah, I made made some very deep connections with people that I've just met on these Zooms from all over the world. And, and it's, it's just been really amazing. And, and, and I consider you one of those people as well. And we don't talk a whole lot, but I, like, I feel like we have a connection. I can, like, I can send you a message, say, Hey, and, and I feel like there's something there. Like there is, there's, there's a fellowship there, whatever you want to call it. I start really paying attention to you. When I found out that you were a good friend, Delane, who built the Sobertown podcast website, and then I'm like, how cool is that? And then, so I started paying attention to you. Yes. And Elaine has been very helpful to me. It's like hard, hard to even put into words. She was a connection I had from the Zooms very early on. And I mean, she, she taught me about Telegram and got me leaving the voice messages. And which I was, I remember being like super nervous at first. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know what to say. And it's just, and it's just one of these things where it's just another sober tool. Like it's easier to have these like voice messages than, than sending a text. You get to hear someone's voice. You get to learn, you know, a little bit more about the person and it, it really strengthened that connection. And then I started, that opened the door to other connections. So it's just, it, it, it's been insanely helpful. And, and she was absolutely crucial in my divorce and really helping me process that and and get through all those things and, and she just just very, she knew what to say because it wasn't a lot of times when you, you know, if you talk about something going on with a part with a partner that's like 
like when, when a relationship is going bad, the other person just might want to just say like, oh, fuck them or, or and just, and just start bad mouthing them. And, and, but Elaine was really helpful in helping me see it from, from kind of both sides and, and maybe why my ex-wife was acting a certain way. And it just gave, it came with a great sense of understanding, which helped me process everything and, and get through it really. So it's just, and like going through a divorce and getting sober at the same time was, was, was a challenge. I mean, I, I was eight months sober before the divorce, before I filed for divorce, but, but still, I mean, like I tried to quit drinking. I, I was hoping, I mean, I did it for me. I, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and say I did it for her, but I was, I, I did it for me because I, it was a life or death decision, but I was really hoping that me not drinking would help the relationship. Obviously I'm married to this woman, but, but really it just made it worse. It just, it, it, cause things were just so bad. It was, it was so much more than drinking this, this marriage, like drinking wasn't the problem with this marriage. There's like so many problems that were deeper than that, but. So you, you went from not being able to stop drinking, contemplating suicide, probably on a regular basis, I'm sure, having that clicking moment and getting through learning how to not drink. And you've been really working on all these, because I saw you, I saw when you went to do the, the steps with Saddle Tramp that you were pushing the envelope to get sober and to find out what was going on inside of you. It, it's been really cool to watch you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, I couldn't do it alone. All these people, every, it, it's hard to say like, you know, you talk about Elaine, a saddle tramp and, and you and your, and the Sobertown podcast and, and all these things are just like huge pieces of the puzzle. And, and, and as we evolve, our tools change and evolve at the same time. Now the, the friendships will change and evolve at the same time. And, and he just, and he, as long as there's some kind of work being done and, and just, if you have nothing to say, show up and listen and, and, and support someone else. And that's something I kind of battle with. I, 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 I do believe that giving back is crucial to continued sobriety. And I, I, I often question myself, am I doing enough of these kind of things? And that's why I wanted to do this podcast. I want, if this helps one person then I'm doing, I'm doing my job. And, and so I, if I continue to post, I continue to share what I'm struggling with because it's not always like sunshine and roses. I still, still have these moments of, of, of doubt and, 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 and the longer we're on this journey, you start to see more people resetting and, and that's, that's a new thing for me to navigate because, because I feel that my sobriety is still fragile. And, and I want to continue to be a support for my friends and I will, I will figure out a way to continue to be a support. But it does come with its challenges, I think. And I, I, I truly just want my friends to be happy. And, and, and if they decide to drink and go back that route, it, it makes me sad. But a lot of that's just me because I like, I'm missing out on, I feel like I might be missing some support that I need. So it's like, it's selfish reasons. A, a lot of it is selfish reasons, but, but I also worry because like, I don't, I think most of us are pickles. We can't go back and, and I don't want to see. I don't want to see my friends get hurt too. So, I mean, there's that as, of course. But you know, Michael, I, I don't always comment and I'll see that you're out there. You're always hiking and you're doing some really cool things. It looks like you guys are just having a lot of fun. Definitely. And getting out and being in nature is, is healing in itself. You know, it's, it's very calming, good for anxiety, those kind of things. But like, other than these recent I was talking about my headaches and the, and the stress and the physical problems that was, that was, that was happening at the end of last year. That aside, I'm in better shape than I've been since I was 20 years old. It's, it's not hard for me to hike 10, 11, 12, 13 miles or whatever. And, and, and then still want to do more when I'm done. And if, if I told my girlfriend the other day, we did it, we did like a 12 mile hike. I was like, if you would have asked me two years ago. If I wanted to go do a 12 mile loop, I was like, I'd be like, no, let's do a, let's do a shorter one. That's too short. But, it, but it's, I, I had really bad inflammation issues. I had, I had gout, really bad issues with gout and, and, and iritis, which is inflammation of the eye, which is insanely painful. 
And all that is gone with drinking. I mean, I'm eating better. I lost a lot of weight. Wow, that's incredible. All of that is gone since you quit drinking. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And I was my heaviest. I mean, I was 40 pounds more than what I'm at now. So, I mean, I lost a lot of weight when I, when I, even back when I just did a few months at AA, I lost a lot of weight and that's pretty much been off since then. But, but, but I kept drinking after that and I still had those health problems, but, but they're gone now. So, and, but it's, it's, it's nice to not just, I don't know if you know anything about gout, but it's like, I had it at one time I had it in both feet and I couldn't walk for three weeks. Like I was, it was, I mean, I was walking, but it was, it was like, it was the most painful thing I've ever gone through. And that's pretty scary too. And, and, and now you're out here doing a 12 mile loop. Yeah. And I, I want to start backpacking and, and, and just, I want to keep pushing that a little bit. I want to keep it fun. I don't want to like do too much, but I, I want to, like, I like being out in nature. I really like being outside and, and, and cause I live in a big city and I deal with bad traffic all the time. So just getting out of town and going to a state park. And those kind of things is, is, is really rewarding. And it's, it, and it's, it's that much better, like being able to do all these things without just feeling like I'm like killing myself from like hiking too much or things like what it used to be. Like when I, my friends would want to go hiking and, and I, I'd be complaining the whole time or whatever, just like, or I'd drink. I would often take bottles of whiskey, whiskey with me on hikes and things like that. And I'm just, I just was always looking for a, you know, instead of just like trying to be healthy. So, and it seems like it would be a good time to sort a lot of these things out with when life gets lifey that you can get out there, you're hiking, you're able to think, <clears throat> meditate on some of these things, bent, bent tough. He does that swimming or he's, he's coming out with a documentary soon and he gets out there and swims and he processes stuff in his head while he swims. He just kind of gets lost and goes. So those kind of things are really cool to get out there and do. And so how's, how's the anger now? Are you, are you able to get on the other side of that? I am usually, I, I still, I still think I should talk, probably go to therapy and kind of talk about just how to manage it and just, just get things off my chest, I guess. And, but I, I mean, I do feel it's, it's mostly manageable, but it's, it's, it's a problem and it's, it, it causes me, it causes me anxiety sometimes. And just from like being so angry, cause it's like, then I got to do that whole thing where it's like, okay, well, I'm not my thoughts. I just observe the thoughts and let them go. That meditation aspect of these things. And, and gratitude helps too with that. Gratitude has been, like I said, been very helpful. So. You know, with, with this, with this housing stuff and these people trying to take advantage of me with financially, like, like I can go back to gratitude and, and just appreciate what I have. And it's like, like, like if for some reason these people get to take my money, like it's not the end of the world. Like I'm not going to end up on the street. I, I, I have everything I want in life. And, and, and that kind of snaps me out of it a little bit, but sometimes it takes a little, a little while to get there, but, but I get there and I know alcohol that would not be possible with alcohol. My, I, w- I wouldn't be thinking clearly, just make the anxiety worse, those kind of things. Well, we've talked a bunch about you and I getting together and talking about, have some topics. And I hope we do that one of these days soon. But yeah, I would love to sit down and and go over some of these talk topics, like the one with moderation. I bet you fight your ass off with that moderation and, and some of these other things that you and I've talked about before, but you know, we don't talk all the time We're we both live really busy lives, but when we do, we're able to have those really cool guy to guy conversations. You know, and I've never really had that with very many men in my life, Michael. So it's been really cool for me too, to get with you and talk through some of these things. Cause it's, there's a lot that goes on in our lives and it, we got to relearn how to navigate all these other, all these other pathways that we go down in life. So you've been instrumental with me too. And I really appreciate that. I, I love hearing that, man. I, and I love our conversations too. So I'm super grateful. Well, Michael, let me ask you this. 
Viv likes asking this on her podcast too. What would you say to the person just getting sober? Because that's the person we really need to help. Mm. Yeah, just, I guess, patience. One of my favorite quotes, and I, this hasn't changed in, in, this whole, in this whole journey, but it's, I think it's C.S. Lewis, but it's day by day. Days go by and nothing changes, but then one day you look back and everything's different. Um, so it's really hard to see the progress we make a lot of times. And I, and I still feel like that's true. Like, I've, uh, like I could have an aha moment tomorrow and like, oh, wow, like I, I'm not bothered by that anymore or something. And it's just like, just starting out, just be patient and just do everything you can to get through the, those like first few days, especially can be really rough. And, and, but, but there's progress there. And one other thing is like, when I actually, when I went to visit Elaine, she was the, she was the first person I met from the Zooms. And I, and that was the first time I'd gone on a plane sober. And I thought I had a fear of flying. It was like, before that, I could never fly unless I was drunk. And I actually almost got arrested one time for drinking too much on a plane. They, I, I was blacked out. I could mostly blacked out. I could barely remember what, what they were telling me, but I was basically listening to music with headphones on and singing at the top of my lungs. And they kept telling me to be quiet. Uh, and I actually really lucked out because I had a family member on the plane randomly. It was like my dad's cousin. He was randomly on the plane. I had no idea he'd be there, but he was looking after me, like telling him like, I'll get him home. And like, but I probably would have been arrested on those kind of things. But anyways, you know, I thought I had a fear of flying. I thought I couldn't get on a plane without being drunk. And I, I and I flew to, to, to see Elaine and I'm standing in the airport and I'm sitting like, I, I have no anxiety at all. Like I feel perfectly fine. And that was just like this huge moment. And that was almost a year. I had almost a year of sobriety at that point. And, and it's just like this aha moment. Like I didn't have a fear of flying. It was, it was only the alcohols, like the alcohols, ex like providing an excuse for me to drink. I was just like, well, I need the alcohol. I can't get on a plane. <laughs> So like the little things like that happen over time. It's just, you got to be patient and, and, but they will, they will come. It's inevitable for them to show up if you like, if, if, if you keep putting in the work. So just don't drink. <laughs> just don't drink. <laughs> be, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Michael, we finally have gotten this podcast done. I'm so thrilled. But Michael, I really appreciate you coming here sharing your journey with us and we will see you at IAS or over on Silvertown Facebook group. You're on both of them, but we are going, you're going to upload your, I'm not a pickle or I'm a pickle song. <laughs> yes. And we're going to get a link and in, into the description of this podcast. So people can, can go there and see you. All right. Sounds good. Okay. My brother, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Drifter. Super grateful. Boom.